couldn't handle Get ready for a battle Cause you know take a moment. I want to greet everyone at every location in Binghamton, Cortland, Corning, Syracuse, and Montrose Church. Can we put our hands together and make everybody feel welcome, make them feel loved? Well, my name is Will. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to take a second. I want you to look right at me. I'm going to look right at you, and I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart, that I love you. I care about you. I have been praying for you, and I believe that God wants to do something in your life right now. I'm excited because this week small groups kicked off. We had some couples come over to my house. Crystal and I, we host a couple small group and we got to meet some, some new couples this past week and it was a beautiful time. If you want to get in small groups and you want to learn about small groups, maybe you want to host a small group, you can go to tworivers.church slash groups. You can learn about groups, you can find a group, and then you can sign up to host a group. And I'm sure it's going to be a wonderful time when you do. Well, this series that we're in is entitled The Good Work. The Good Work. And, and you should have notes. I want to make sure that the ushers come at every location. If you didn't get notes when you came in, just slip your hand up. The ushers are going to come by, and they're going to make sure that you get notes so that you can follow along with this series. We started out this series, and we took a look at a picture of what uh, the church should be. And I told, I told us that we need to stop going to church because that's not God's highest call for your life. That sometimes people just go to church. But the Bible says that we're to be planted in the house of the Lord. That when you're planted in the house of the Lord, what would happen is that you're going to flourish. And there's something different that takes place when you're planted in the house of the Lord. It, God's highest calling for our life is that we begin to look like Jesus, that we be conformed into the image of Christ. And, and what has to happen is it's beyond mere attendance that we actually are the church. We are the church and we exist for the world. We are the light in the darkness, the city on a hill that cannot be hidden. So so when you are a part of the church, last week we talked about a God-given burden. That if you don't have a burden from God, something that weighs on your heart, it's unnatural. It is a natural thing for us as believers to carry the heart of Jesus Christ and to be broken for something. The Bible teaches us, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So while we will have a burden from God, it'll be a burden that you will enjoy. You won't want to get rid of it, but you'll want to do something with it. And so down this week, here's the thing. Once you get ready to do something, uh, you're going to have to stand strong in the face of opposition. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Anytime that God leads you to do anything good, anything meaningful, 
anything that's generous, anything that's lasting, you can expect opposition. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, just expect it. Oh, come on, church, turn to your other neighbor and and tell them, now, uh, you can expect opposition. You're going to expect some spiritual resistance. As you look through the Bible, Adam and Eve, they had the serpent. Moses had Pharaoh. David had Goliath. When you turn to the New Testament, you see Jesus. He had Herod, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, Judas, the devil, demons. You see Batman. He had Joker. Come on, people. That's not in the Bible. Come on now. Uh, but as, as we are in Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah, and he's confronted by Sanballat and Tobiah. Nehemiah, if you, if you weren't with us the last few weeks, I'll recap the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a regular guy. We find out that he's a cupbearer to the king. And the king Artaxerxes of Persia. Now, Nehemiah hears that his homeland is broken down. The walls in Jerusalem were broken down. We learned that this has been the case for 141 years. But when Nehemiah hears about this, something in his heart breaks. He begins to weep. He carries a burden. Something begins to move. And he begins to spend four months in fasting and prayer. He goes in front of the king. Someone 13 or 12 years prior had already requested of the king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But they were told no, no. But God gave Nehemiah favor. And and he carried this burden and and it caused him to want to do something. He's just this regular guy, and he travels about a 1,000 miles away to Jerusalem. When he arrives, he begins to inspire people to attempt what they thought was impossible. We're going to rebuild the wall. So at the beginning of Nehemiah, what we see is Nehemiah is challenging people. They start by rebuilding the gates. They rebuild the sheep gate, the fish gate, the valley gate, the horse gate, the water gate, and the dung gate. Now, I don't know who was working on the dung gate. That don't sound like the best place to live. If you ask me, I would much rather live at the water gate. But somebody had to do it. Somebody had to do the dung gate, y'all. And what's interesting is Nehemiah is working with people who are not Masonites. They're not carpenters. Like, you, you, you get ready to build something. You want to have all the skilled laborers around. And, it, you know, you walk around Two Rivers Church for a little while, and you're like, we need some skilled laborers in here. Go down in the basement. You might not come back. You, you, there's some things that need to be done. You go over to the rectory. You, you might not come back. And there's some, now, what's interesting is Nehemiah is talking to goldsmiths and perfume makers, Now, I don't know what God put on Nehemiah's life to get a perfume maker to rebuild the dung gate. But there's something there. Like something, just God's using this ordinary guy. And and what happens is they start making progress. 
And they start thinking, maybe we can do this. But what do we know? Whenever the work goes down, opposition shows up. And you can fill that in on your notes. Whenever the work goes down, opposition shows up. It says this in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? And then in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stone. And I'm sure that was probably a funny joke. Like they're just having a good time, making fun of the people that are restoring and rebuilding the wall. And, and here's the reality of what this looks like in your life, in my life. The moment you step out to do something, the moment that you begin to step in faith and declare something that you believe that God's placed in your heart to do, you're going to encounter resistance. It's something like this. You're getting ready to go to church for the first time, and the whole family decides today is the day that we're going to run late. And you guys are fighting in the car on the way to church today. It was just a throwdown. Or you decide, you know what? I'm going to get out of debt. I've been praying about it. I'm going to get a hold of my finances. I'm going to go to a stewardship class. And, and we're going we're to become financially responsible. In the very week that you declare that you're going to get out of debt, what happens? Your car breaks down. And you get an, an $800 automobile repair bill. Who knows what I'm talking about? You, you start serving in Sunday school. You start serving in children's church. And you showed up, and you're in the nursery, and you're so excited. You got your little smock on. You got your footies over your feet. You've watched all the training videos. And, and now... You're in the room, and the little babies are running around. You're singing Jesus songs, and you pick up one of these wonderful children, and they throw up Cheerios right on your chest. And, and, and the moment you step out to do something that's on your heart, you, you tell somebody, and they tell you how you're being stupid. That'll never happen. It's not going to take place. So don't be surprised when you face opposition. Because advancement invites opposition. When you begin to move forward, what happens is opposition gets in your way. The devil doesn't bother those who are not a threat. He don't care about you if you're not in his way. But the moment you step out, the moment you step up, opposition goes up. So if you want to avoid opposition, you want to avoid having this in your life, I'll tell you how to do that. I'll tell you how to live opposition-free life. If you just want a real peaceful life and you don't want any problems, just do this. Coast along. Do the most comfortable thing at all times. Live, live a selfish lifestyle. Just, just do the bare minimum of what it is to be a Jesus follower. 
Do the bare minimum. Go to church, but don't engage. Don't get planted. Don't get rooted. Don't pray. Don't serve. Don't give. Don't care. If you do all those things, I promise you right now, the devil will not cause you any trouble because you're running his playbook. But the moment that you step out to do some spiritual things, the moment that you go beyond yourself to do something that's selfless, the moment that you try to forgive somebody that's, that's offended you, the moment you try to do those things, what's going to happen is when you step out in faith, you're going to become a target. Because when you're running the enemy's playbook, he's got no reason to stop you from the direction you're going. But the moment you try to change direction, you will face opposition. Church, I'm trying to get you prepared. I'm trying to get you into a place where you can understand what it is, that this is what it looks like. The Bible says that our flesh is at war with the Spirit. That the, I don't even need the devil to be at war. That the Spirit of God is actually at war with my own flesh. If you and I just pay attention to our flesh, and we just do whatever our flesh wants to do, you will not have any opposition from the enemy. What you will reap is the consequences of what you sow. But it won't be a consequence that comes from the devil. Does that make sense? So, so the moment that you step out, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have critics. You're going to have haters. You're going to have all the people. I like to say the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. It's the ones they don't, they have not lifted a hand to help you, but they will criticize you. They will talk about you. They will write about you online. It's some guy in his basement right now trying to figure out a way to mess with you. And, and, and so how do you respond to your critics? How do you respond to the haters? How do you respond to the naysayers? How do you respond to the doubters? Most of the time, you don't. Notice what Nehemiah doesn't do. He doesn't respond to Samballot and Tobiah. He doesn't, he doesn't take the bait. He doesn't answer to defend himself. You're in, in, let me, let me, I want you to hear this. Your response isn't going to convert your critics. How many know what I'm talking about? You've been on Facebook really just working really hard. I remember when we first started the church, we had this guy, and he, he told me it was his, God sent him here to correct me. And that was his joy in life. In everything that we did online, he would, he would try to message, and he would, just, he would try to raise a ruckus. He, he friended my entire friend list. I kid you not. He went down through and friended all, all the people on my friends list and, and then would post and just name Two Rivers Church and name me and, and, and talk about it. And so I, I, initially I started trying to message him to think, well, maybe he's a Christian brother. He's just a little confused. And, and I thought, well, let me engage. I'll, I'll talk to him and, and, and I'll win him over. I'll win him over. I'm a winsome person. We're going 
we're going to just talk about that, you know, we could be reasonable and we'll, we'll come to some kind of conclusion and we'll, we'll get into the word together and see what God has to say about these things. Because I was convinced there wasn't anything that we were doing that was out of line with the word of God and that, in fact, we were doing what I believe to be an expression of the word of God. You would hope if I'm the pastor, y'all. Right, you would hope that that's the case, but there are people who they don't believe that, and they're pretty sure that I'm not following Jesus. I'm actually a, an angel of darkness that's come, and there's all kinds of amazing, wonderful things that are out there. and And I thought I was gonna, I was gonna uh, convert him, and this was quite the mistake. I spent a lot of time getting agitated, a lot of time getting drawn in, a lot of time getting nowhere. And what I realized was I was not doing the thing that I was called to do when I was wasting my time with my critics. And in your life, when you step out to do something for God, you are always going to have the critics. You'll always have the naysayers and the detractors. You'll always have the people who don't carry your best interest that are actually in opposition to the work of God. And what happens is when you acknowledge your critics, you give them power. They're not important until you respond, so don't. The church will be criticized. I'm sure you've heard it, and I've watched people. They try to step in to defend Two Rivers Church. Boy, I love y'all, but don't worry about it. We're going to be on mission, y'all. You stay on mission. We live at a higher level. We live at a higher anointing. When you live up here, when you're an eagle, you don't run around with the chickens. Can I get a good amen? So, so God's not going to, the goal is not to respond to the critics. We stay above it and do the will of God. So, so it's not easy to deal with the haters, but, but it's even more difficult when you have people that are close to you, your family, who might criticize you. I'll remember, I'll tell on my mom a little bit. My mom, she loves me tremendously, but I left the house when I was 18. And by the time I moved back to New York, I was 34. And I was a radically different person. So anybody that knows me when I was 18, God bless you. I love you. And, and you, you and I, will sit down, we'll talk. There's a lot that, that God's done. Can I get a good amen from, from what you were to who you are? And what my mom saw was the 18-year-old that left the house. Now I've moved back, and now I'm supposed to be her pastor. And this is the thing, y'all. That's a really tricky thing. You're going to be your mom's pastor. Uh, and, and she knew me as 18-year-old Will, not as 34-year-old Pastor Will. And I remember sharing with my mom the dream, because God spoke over my life, that we were coming to plant a church. And God downloaded into me that we were going to launch large. And no one in New York had ever heard of this. You didn't launch a church large. That wasn't what you would do. The district officials, they all were like, why don't you just settle it down there, big fella? And and my mom was a little concerned about this idea. She grew up in ministry. They'd pastored multiple churches. And she was a little concerned. 
a little concerned that, that maybe we were going, Crystal and I had sold our house, cashed in our retirement fund. We went all the way in. And now we're living in a camper in my mother and father-in-law's front yard. And I'm having trouble getting people to join the launch team. And so now my mom's starting to think, hmm, I don't know if this is the best direction for my son's life. And what I needed from my mom in that moment, what I wanted was somebody to believe in the vision and the direction and what God has spoken over my life. And when my mom said, well, you know, let's pray about these things. Let, let's, let's take it slower. Let's dream a little less. Let's, it, it disappointed me in a way that was uh, really hurtful because I, had, I was all the way in and I wanted somebody to walk with me and I wanted my mom to believe in the thing that I felt God was leading me to do. And into that, there was some pain. There was some hurt. And of course, we've talked about that and we've, you know, all of that's totally different and, and everything's resolved. But when there's people that are close to you, maybe a husband or a wife, a mother, a father, a close family member, when they say something in opposition to you, it can be tremendously difficult. Maybe you're getting ready to take on some foster care kids and, and somebody around you says, you can barely handle the kids you already have. How are you going to take on these other kids? Or you're getting ready to start a life group and somebody comes along and says, you can't even find the book of Nehemiah, let alone how are you supposed to lead a small group? You don't have the right look. You don't have the right education. You don't know enough. You're not old enough. You're too young. You're too experienced. You're too busy. You can't lead a group. You can't host a group. And you know what I want to say to people is, I say, you're too negative because you don't know my God. There's something inside of me. He's placed something in my life. There's a burden that I'm carrying. There's something I got to get done. And, and when you step out, opposition steps in. So, so this is why I tell myself, and you write this down for number one, try not to be moved by praise or criticism. Try not to be moved by either praise or criticism. It can feel really good when somebody comes to you, oh, you're amazing, you're wonderful. It's so, pastor, that was an amazing message. So good, I, no one preaches the way you do, pastor. Oh, God bless you. Uh, because here's what you need to do. You live for the applause of one. When I die, I'll stand before Jesus, and he's going to judge my life. I'm going to stand before the Bema Seat of Christ. And the Bema Seat is the place where you receive rewards as a faithful steward of the king. And at the end of that, what he'll say to you is he'll say this, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. He'll place a crown on your head, and in that moment, you will take the crown off, and you will put it at the feet of Jesus. And you'll say, Jesus, there's not a thing that I have earned that does not belong to you. I have done nothing that is attributed to me. It's all from you, and I return it back to you right now because I love you. And you will lay your crown at the feet of Jesus. Live for the applause of one. So don't let praise go to your head. 
And, or don't let criticism go to your heart. Those are two fill in the blanks. Just fill them in. So Nehemiah knows this. He doesn't answer his critics. He answers to God. Instead of engaging at the lower level, Nehemiah turns to the higher power. He begins to pray. Now, I want you to watch how he prays because he doesn't know about Jesus yet. He doesn't know about Jesus talking about bless your enemies when they curse you and all these things. He, he prays an Old Testament prayer. Now, if you're like me, you may have prayed some of these prayers before. Some of these, God strike them down and kill them, and I want them removed, and, and I want you to curse them, Lord, and I want, I want you to, to remove them. And, and this is an Old Testament prayer. And I'm going to let you read it, but, but just know we operate under a new covenant. And Jesus didn't teach us to pray this way. He taught us to pray a different way. But this is the way Nehemiah prayed. He said, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. We're rubber, they're glue, anything they say bounces off me, sticks to you. And now give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. That's directly the opposite of Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done, what Jesus declared on the cross. He says, get them, God. Get them, God. Strike them down. But you notice who he's saying it to. If you're going to pray, if you're going to say this thing, say it to the Lord. Don't say it to your enemy. Can I get a better amen? Can I get a better amen? Now can I get a little commitment in there? I'm not going to say these things to my enemy. I'm not going to respond to my critics. I'm going to go to the Lord. God can handle this. God will sort this out. God will handle it. Even if you pray the most vicious, like the sons of thunder, so Lord, should we call down lightning and strike them dead? Let's get them, God. And, and he says, don't cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they've thrown insults in the face of the builders. And this is what it says. I love this. In verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Turn to your neighbor, tell them, rebuild something. Out in the lobby, there's a wall, and I want you to dream about what it is that you're going to rebuild. There's something that's been taken from your life. There's something that's been destroyed. There's something that's broken down that God wants to restore through your life. And I want you to write that down. I want you to put it on the wall, and we're going to pray over it. I told you last week I'm going to circle it. I'm going to put it as a trophy in my office. Every time that something was rebuilt and restored, I'm going to celebrate with you all that God has done in your life. That God wants to change something. He wants to rebuild something. There's an anointing to change the things that are broken. It might have been 141 years. It might have been 10 years. I don't know how long it's been broken in your life, but it's time for it to be rebuilt. So Nehemiah pauses to pray, and then he gets back to work. And, and there's no time for his critics. He's got a higher calling to do the will of God. And I love this about Nehemiah. He's both spiritual and practical. He prays as if everything depends on God, and then he works as though everything depends on us. And I know a bunch of people, they pray enough, but they don't do enough. And I know a bunch of people who do a bunch, but they don't pray enough. And you got to have both ponies and ride them. 
You got to have the practical and the supernatural. You got to have the prayer and the plan. That God doesn't just leave you where there's no outlet or no resource. If you think it's all, I like it when people say, oh, he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. And I say, you got to be so heavenly minded that you can be earthly good. That there has to be something that God downloads into you and then something that you get through you and something good will take place. My wife put a chair up here so I don't make her dizzy, but this is going to happen. I might get walking around. So Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10 says it like this. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. They start to doubt whether or not they can get the job done. You ever tackle something that's big? You ever tackle something that requires massive effort? You ever tackle something that requires a lot of work? It takes more than just one time I prayed and I I said, God, would you change this thing in my life? And then it didn't change right away. And then along the way you start thinking, God, am I ever going to be different? Is this thing ever going to move? Is this thing ever going to change? Is this thing ever going to be, what's going to happen, God? And they begin to doubt. In verse 11, it says, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. And then verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, like this, uh, just everybody, pastor, did you hear so-and-so? Did you hear such and such? Did you hear this thing? Did you know? Did you know? Did you know? I got a report from the Lord that I'm going to listen to, y'all. I don't want to hear the report of man. I want to hear the report of the Lord. I got some things that I got stuck on repeat in my spirit that I don't listen to what man has to say. I just listen to what God has to say, and I live on every word that proceeds from the Father's mouth. Come on, somebody. Can I get a good amen? That This is how we live. This is how we move. This is how we have our being. Wherever you turn, they're going to attack us, they said. The people of Judah, they start doubting. They start doubting their own ability to get it done. And of all the types of opposition, you got your external haters, you got your relational people that are in your way, you got spiritual difficulty. But the most difficult thing to me is always your internal opposition. Your own insecurities when they raise their ugly head. Who do you think you are, Will? And I'm going to be transparent with you for, for a minute. There's an inner voice inside of me that says, you're just one person. You can never make a difference. You're, you're not getting anything done. Nobody's changing. Nobody's moving. Nothing's happening. It's not going fast enough. It's not going the way you thought it would go. It's not. And there's a voice that gets in my head that tells you you don't have what it takes. And I don't know who this is going to speak to. But someone here, I want you to to listen to me. You listen to your own insecurities more than you listen to the truth of what God says about you. I want you to look at me. I want you to hear this. And you can write this down. The external opposition will only be as loud as my internal insecurities allow them to be. You know, there's a great quote 
that said nobody can put you down unless you allow them to. That what is going on inside of your spirit, what is going on inside of your mind, your own insecurities, are what the enemy preys upon. The voice that's inside of your head that you allow to run rampant, the, the external opposition can only be as loud as what your internal insecurities allow them to be. The moment that Nehemiah starts to battle with his own insecurities, he takes the focus off himself and he puts back, it back on God and the mission. If God's done it before, he can do it again. He, he stops looking at himself and he looks to God. He says, this isn't my battle, it's the Lord's battle. He's with us, he is for us. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. If God's for you, if God is before you, who can be against you? Can I get a Romans chapter 8 kind of lifestyle going on here? My focus is not on what my internal voice says or on what the external critics say. I remember the truth of God's voice. You remember the Lord your God. He rescued you from Egypt. He brought you out. He brought you through the miry clay. He split the Red Sea. You walked through it on dry ground. When you didn't have food to eat, he sent you manna. When you didn't have meat, he sent you quail. When you didn't have provision, he showered you with the riches of Egypt. I want you to remember the faithfulness of God to provide for two rivers. When we were out of money, time and time again, in miracle checks would come in the mail. When we're saying, God, I need a facility, and out of nowhere, he didn't just give us one, but we now have 17 different buildings in the last five years that we've multiplied into the millions and millions and millions in assets. But I don't know where it came from other than that God said, let's go. You go this way. And as you go, if it's God's will, it is God's bill. He's the miracle working God. He's the God of all provision and all supply. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Just ask him to sell one for you. That God is able when there's opposition when there's people that stand in the way, when there's trouble, when there's difficulty, I don't fix my eyes on those things. I remember the victories. I remember the miracles. I remember the faithfulness of God. And so you just need to write this down and then I'm going to have Ryan come back and we're going to close this up. The greater the opposition, the greater the opportunity for our God to fight for you. God wants to put you in a position where he's going to get all the glory. He wants you to get out where you get yourself into a faith position where it's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a colossal failure or it's going to be an amazing success. There can't be but one, uh, there's only going to be two things. This is going to either go down in flames or God is going to show up and we're going to live the best adventure of our lives. This is the best place to be. I can't get, I'm so tired of talking to bored Christians. The reason you're bored is because you ain't put yourself in a position where there's opposition. The reason you're bored is because you ain't put yourself in a position where there has to be a faith demonstration. The reason you're bored is because you don't have a burden that you're carrying something for that you got to make a difference with. And Nehemiah in verse 14 says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, 
Don't be afraid of them. Verse 14, remember the Lord. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, remember the Lord. Come on, somebody, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. This is something got to get in your spirit on repeat. I got to remember the Lord. You got it in your mind, all the memories of the one time that everything didn't go right, the one time that your dad failed you, the one time that your mom didn't show up to pick you from school on time, the one time that somebody broke a promise, and you got it in your head that that's what God's going to do for you for the rest of your life. But I want you to remember the Lord, the Lord Almighty, Jehovah Jireh. God, my provider, Jehovah Nisi, my banner, Jehovah, my healer, Jehovah Tidnesiku. He is the one who is there for me. Jehovah is able. Remember the Lord in all of his benefits. Oh, my soul, forget not all the good things that God has done. And who is great and awesome. And then it says, and fight for your families your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And now church, I want you to hear this fight. There's gotta get a fight up in your spirit. There's got to get a fight back in your soul. There's got to get a fight back in you that I know the culture's gone astray. I know the culture's doing what the culture does. And the politicians say what the politicians say. But God wants you to remember him. It don't matter what Sean Hannity says. It don't matter what CNN says. What matters is what my God says. My God is greater. He is more able. He is full. And he is triumphant that my God wants you to get up and fight. I don't care what all the critics say. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care how diff- how big the opposition is. It's just an opportunity for my God to show up. And when you step out and you fight and you say, this is my thing, what God will do, he's going to show up in your marriage. You remember the Lord and keep on fighting for that spouse. You got. You say, I need some healing in my life. Fight for your healing. You're in some debt. Fight to get set free. Remember the Lord your God and keep on fighting. You got an addiction that has you licked. Remember the Lord your God and keep on fighting. That addiction is not the last word spoken over your life. That God has a new word. He's got a new destination. He has a new authority. Greater is he who is in me than he who's in the world. That I have self-control. I have confidence. I have all that I need from God because he is developing in me something beautiful. That child who needs a family, fight for those children. Fight for the victims who can't speak for themselves. Fight for the unborn. Fight for our culture. There is something that God is putting a burden in your heart. He is putting something on your life to carry and you are going to fight for it. You're going to rebuild it. We're going to see God come through in ways that you can only imagine and it's going to be better than that yet. Come on somebody, give him praise if you believe it. Come on, bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Jesus, I pray now for your great equipping, your great authority. When we face opposition, we face difficulty, we're going to stand strong. We're going to do your work. We're going to soar with the eagles. We're not going to peck with the chickens. Now, God, there is a calling to rebuild. 
And when people don't get it, they don't understand it, they don't carry the burden the way we carry it, that God, we would hear your voice, we'd remember you, and then you would come through time after time after time. I pray for every bored Christian, they get, they get to have something imparted into their life, some level of opposition that's going to cause them to have to follow you in a greater way. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.